1943, cancel takeoff clearance. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff clearance. Rejecting. American 106, have a possible pilot deviation. I have a number for you. Advise ready to copy. Wow, just absolute, just wow. Hats off for this air traffic controller at New York's JFK. His quick actions prevented what could have been one of America's deadliest aviation incidents, accidents in our history. He really did prevent America's Tenerife. This is uh, amazing. We are indebted to this air traffic controller for what he did on January 13th, 2023. Uh, if you haven't heard about Tenerife, by the way, uh, two 747s collided. I think it was back, uh, I even forgot it, the 80s or 70s or something like that. But uh, go, give it a good Google and go read up on it. And it's uh, tragic what happened, but this almost happened to be exactly the same. Uh, you know, two airplanes colliding on the runway. So I'm going to be talking, I'm going to be deconstructing this incident from the human factors perspective. I'm also going to be talking about crew resource management. Uh, and how this plays into this incident. Also, uh, operational constraints on the American side. Management introduced new procedures uh, for commonality across all fleets. The APA is not happy about that. That's the Pilots Union. Also, going to be just talking about uh, taking you back to Episode 2 and Episode 3. Episode 2, I talked about aggressive mediocrity, how that is affecting our industry, the aviation industry. And I'm also going to be taking you to Episode 3 regarding regional pilots and how uh, I was trying to help out uh, regional pilots uh, come to a, a conclusion or a decision, make a decision whether they should stay or they should go to an ultra low cost carrier as a means to an end to get to United, Delta, or American. This and more on the Tailwinds and Sunshine podcast. Let's get started. Hey, folks from the flight deck, this is your captain speaking. Welcome to the Tailwinds and Sunshine Podcast, where we talk everything aviation. I am your host, Manny Ramirez. It's always a pleasure to have you on board. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to episode four of the Tailwinds and Sunshine podcast. I want to thank all my supporters, my subscribers, my friends for giving me input and feedback and really the support. I really do appreciate them talking, you know, telling me how they say my voice is soothing. Honestly, I take it as I'm putting people to sleep, really. Uh, sometimes I've listened when I'm recording these episodes, I go back and listen to the entire episode before I publish it and make sure that I want to take care of any editing issues. And I end up falling asleep. <laughs> so I don't know if that's happening to you guys, but I put myself to sleep. Hopefully that's not happening. It depends um, It depends on the situation. I'm usually super tired or whatever after work when I'm listening to this and editing and I end up falling asleep and I wake up and it's, you know, I it's towards the end or is the outro music playing and then I go, ah, oh, crap, you know, I didn't listen to the episode. I have to listen to it again. But anyways, thank you so much for the support. Thank you for my subscribers. Shout out to everyone in Nevada. I have the most subscribers from Nevada and listeners in Nevada. I do appreciate your support. Um, so what's been going on here? I am currently in Vegas. I'm back in Vegas. I just finished uh, a two-week stint of work, pretty much. I worked almost 10 days straight uh, before I came to uh, back to Vegas. 
Your boy is finally signed off to teach procedures training on his own. I finished that this past Friday after uh, being observed for the last time. I did a procedures validation for uh, a Captain FO duo. Uh, and so I'm very happy and really excited. I got pretty good feedback from my instructors. And I am now set free on the wild to go teach uh, new hires procedures training. So I'm really happy about that. I'm really excited. Uh, I've learned a lot in procedures training. Um Recently, I got called to cover a shift for one of my coworkers. He called out fatigued. Uh, he's been working a lot. He actually just got his medical back as well. So he is now going through return to work simulator training. He hasn't flown in quite a while. So they're, he's going back through the simulator just to get him back to work, back to back up to speed. So he was super tired. He called out sick. So I covered a uh, day of ground uh, so for systems. And it was really it was really cool to be back in front of in front of uh, students and in the classroom teaching systems. And I noticed that I started giving or I started uh, referencing information that I've learned in procedures training uh, that I've been doing over the past month or so. So I was really happy to uh, incorporate some of that information and bring that wealth of knowledge to systems uh, training. So that 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 came out in um. That really helped out and made me feel good, so I'm really happy. So now, uh, that's pretty much all I've been doing is just working, observing. Uh, the the weather in Colorado has been really uh, snowy. We had more, not so much Colorado Springs, but Denver has been snowing. There's a lot of snow on the ground. It's been cold enough, and it's not melting. The snow's not melting, so it makes it difficult to um, to just park. That's the hardest part is parking. So I spent literally like 20 minutes on Friday finding a parking spot at the employee parking lot in Denver because you couldn't see the damn lines. I couldn't see the lines where you need to park. And I had a really traumatic experience uh, last time that that happened where I parked. I mean, the entire parking lot was just snowed in and you couldn't see the lines. So I parked right in between two uh, two vehicles and I left my car in, in, there at the parking lot for about almost two weeks. And when I came back, all the snow had melted. And it turns out that I had parked in two parking spaces. Like, uh, So I was uh, in front so I had moved ahead of one parking spot. It was side to side. It was fine, but I had moved forward just a little bit and I, they scratched up my car. They spit on it. I had like dip spit on it. I had nasty notes, gum stuck on my car. And I was like, guys, man, really? I mean, it's like, you're going to, you're going to go out of your way to burn extra calories to do something like, do you not know that it snows here that we had a storm? Like maybe like a couple weeks ago, people never think of that. People think I'm being an a-hole and just, you know, taking spots because I just want to be an a-hole, but that was not the case. Uh, so now I am traumatized. So now every time I go and park there, I'm literally digging through snow with my feet just to make sure that I can see the line and I make sure that I am within the lines to make sure that I don't get my car scratched again. Uh, the scratch wasn't that big of a deal. You can barely see it, but uh, I mean, the, 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 the dip spit and then the gum and the nasty notes, I mean, that was just, it made me really sad. So if you're, if you're, if you're an airline pilot or you're an airline or airport employee in general, just keep that in mind. Be kind to each other. Just know that everyone has a story that they have to tell. They're going through their own dramas and traumas. And sometimes we just have to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, just go find another parking space or something or whatever. Just be kind to people. And it definitely has made me a kinder person because now every time I go to a parking space or even at the grocery store, you know, I go and think, well, maybe this person was having a bad day. I don't think they're, you know, they, I don't think much of it and I just kind of let it go. So I'll do that. So that's what, that's, that's what I have been up to. Just work, 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 uh, in Vegas, just chilling 
And now I'm just recording this episode of the Tailwinds and Sunshine podcast. So first thing we're going to talk about, or I'm going to talk about, is that incident at New York's JFK. I'm going to play the entire ATC recording, and I'm going to kind of narrate it and tell you what happens there. And then after that, I'm going to jump in and de- deconstruct this incident based on um, what I think happened, theories. Um, I'm going to talk about the training that airline pilots go through to handle these kinds of situations to prevent them and how this particular crew, there was a break in CRM and in, uh, in how it led to a potential disaster in American aviation history. So let's get started. I'm going to put this uh, recording and we'll get started. So here Delta is uh, lining up points to the runway. Gusts two four, runway four so left, he's busy. So he's got American planes lined up on four left, three one left, and one taken off at four left. So he's busy. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff clearance. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff clearance. Rejecting. So right now you have American 106 Heavy now clearing the runway. uh, Four left as they're crossing on Juliet. And you have uh, Delta, the 737, uh, rejecting the takeoff on four left. So right now the air traffic controller is probably cursing all heavens. And uh, the pilots are changing their pants right now. At least Delta one. All right, then. The Delta 1943. <laughs> yeah, Delta 1943. Are you able to taxi? I need a couple minutes to run checks. Yeah, we can get off the runway, uh, Delta 1943. Yeah, right now, you can't think. Just get off the runway. Juliet. And just um, remain clear of runway 4 left. All right, left on Juliet and remain clear of runway 4 left for Delta 1943. Jibble 918, it's going to be more than 90 seconds in position. Yeah, Jibble 918, Roger. Delta 1943, taxi right on Bravo, hold short of Hotel Bravo. So right, right now you've got a JetBlue and an American and four left and three one left, respectively. American 106 Heavy. Here we go. 106 Heavy, possible pilot deviation. Ooh. I have a number for you. Advisor, that's copy. the most dreaded words a pilot can hear is possible pilot deviation. We have a number. Advisory to copy. Go ahead, sir. American 106 Heavy, stand by. They're in trouble. Tower American 106 Heavy. So the captain American trying to heavy. confirm what happened. The last clearance we were given, we were cleared to uh, cross. Is that correct? American 106 Heavy. Uh, we're departing runway four left. Um, I guess we'll listen to the tapes, but uh, you were supposed to depart runway four left. You're currently holding short of uh, three one left. So the professionalism and just the composure of this uh, air traffic controller is just amazing. Props, man. So what you just heard right there, it was just uh, American repeating the instructions to cross three one left at Kilo. American uh, 106 Heavy, I have a number for you. Let me know when you're ready to copy. Ready to copy, sir. 106 Heavy, possible pilot deviation. Advise you contact Kennedy Tower at 718-656. American 106 Heavy, read back correct. 
Delta 1943, monitor ground 121.9. 219, Delta 1943. American 1067, you're going to depart 3-1 left now, uh, confirm. Okay, sir, yes, we're uh, still trying to get that number. Uh, they had us wait five minutes. Okay, you would need to make the phone call first. Yes, sir, thank you. So there you go, wow, just the professionalism. Um, there was a little short clip there of just kind of going back. When American 106 Heavy was given instructions to cross runway 31 left at Kilo, they were supposed to make a right turn on Kilo, cross 31, I'm sorry, yeah, 31 left, and then, um, yeah, proceed on to runway 4 left, but they didn't. So uh, just the way the controllers handle it, amazing. Um, those words, like I said, possible pilot deviation. I've heard it over frequency a few times, and, and you just like, yikes. You know, it's not a good thing to uh, hear as a pilot because, you know, you're in trouble. So that's uh, the entire recording you guys just heard. All right. So now that we heard what happened based on air traffic control communications, I'm going to deconstruct this incident based on a few factors. The first one is expectation bias. So what is expectation bias? So I'll give you an example uh, a few years back, I was doing some instruction and we're doing pattern work. I was doing pattern work with this student and we were flying right traffic for, I'm sorry, it's left traffic for one to left. We're doing left traffic for one to left and there's parallel runways in North Las Vegas. You have one to left, one to right. So typically we land on one to left and once we land, we typically kind of go all the way to the end of the runway or we exit as soon as possible on the right. And as soon as we do so, um, we exit and we hold short of the parallel runway at the end. Then we get instructions from tower to cross the parallel runway and onto the ramp. Well, this particular case, we, I did the same thing. We taxied out and as we're taxiing off the, uh, the runway, the tower controller told us to make a right turn on Delta. And then we're going to basically cross midfield. Uh, we're going to cross the parallel runway at midfield. I repeated back the instructions and guess where this guy ended up at. I ended up at where I usually hold at, which is at the end of the parallel runway. So my student picked up on that based on his inexperience. He's like, hey, I think we were instructed to turn right on Delta. And I did a face palm there and I go, nope, you're absolutely right. I called the controller and the controller said, hey, don't worry about it. Just, just you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. I said, no problem. And then we crossed the parallel runway and we were on our way. That is what expectation bias looks like. I repeated the instructions back to the controller, but I did what I am more comfortable with or what I what I am more used to, which is to hold at the end of the runway. So I can see how this crew might have a potential reason as to what uh, what happened here is that the, and you heard the first officer repeat the instructions back to the controller, which is to cross runway three, one left a kilo. The first officer repeated that, but they proceeded to cross runway four left at Juliet, which is a little further north of that. So I want to kind of give a disclaimer. This is just basically me. This is a theory of what I think happened. It's not, you know, it's not gospel. It's not something. And, I'm, and I am sort of, in a way, armchair quarterbacking this situation. But it's just based on my own personal experience of how things have happened in the flight deck and how it can 
lead to uh, a, an incident similar to this. So that's expectation bias. So let's talk about this crew. So I don't know where this crew is based out of. I don't know if they're based out of JFK or, or whatever, but I can potentially see this crew having taxied in, at this airport multiple times, and I'm sure they've crossed runway four left at Juliet before, so that's something they're used to. So when the first officer repeated back the instructions, yes, it registered in her brain, but the crew doing what's more uh, familiar to them, the proceeding to go and taxiing to Juliet and crossing for left there. So that could have been a reason why. Um, it's, it's really insidious. That's something we can't really fix or something we can... You can fix it to a certain degree, but that's only really prevented with a good briefing. So anytime that we, um, before we get ready to taxi or depart the gate, the crew has to brief of what has to happen. And I'll kind of give you uh, our procedures at my company. Now, speaking of procedures, American also, American management to be precise, introduced new procedures into American. They're trying to harmonize all of the fleets. What does that mean? It means that they're trying to kind of uh, align everyone's procedures regardless of what airplane you fly. So as far as the checklists, uh, flows, etc., they want to harmonize them across all fleets to make sure that it's easier to train pilots when it comes to recurrent training. That's one of the reasons uh, to do that. It also... Uh, it means that training is a little bit more streamlined, depending, you know, regardless of the fleet. So American Airlines, they're it's it's they have good intentions, but the application of how this was introduced to uh, the crews, not so much. In the APA, which is the Americans Pilot Union, they sent out, you know, they've put out several press releases and, 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 and memos to the company saying this is not the way to go. You guys implemented it too hastily and it's just not, they're unhappy and I'm sure the pilots are unhappy as well. And the reason why is because it is, according to sources, new sources, it is a pretty substantial change. Um, American Airlines Management sent this 36-page memo to pilots and say, these are the changes that are going to happen. You need to implement them pretty soon. So they were not given a really good, they were not giving, they were not given training to implement these new procedures. And a lot of pilots were kind of left in the dark or they were left out to dry and they just had to implement them as they went along. So that's what the APA is saying that American management did. Where that where they're how true how much truth there is to that i'm i don't know but i think that if you if you if american management provided the crews with a 36 page memo that is a substantial change it's not something you know uh, light such as just a name of a, of a of a checklist which happened in my company not too long ago this happened last year we had a uh, again in an effort to harmonize both of the fleets that we have at our company they sent out a memo they made actually they didn't even send out a memo they just sent out a they made a change to the SOP or or SOPM I'm sorry which is our standard operating procedures manual and they said now instead of being called before takeoff, I'm sorry, before start checklist to the line and before start checklist below the line, they just changed it to before start checklist and engine start checklist. And believe me, there was there was a lot of us that were like, oh, wow, you know, there was memes made about it, how the company just changed a checklist name without really saying anything or giving us a heads up. They just changed it and we started implementing immediately. But that was a very small change. It's just a name to a checklist. The procedures themselves didn't change. And we're like, okay. 
from my perspective or from my end as an instructor, I was, and I even asked uh, one of the, uh, the training manager at our company, and I asked him is why is it that the SOPM committee did not consult with the uh, training department to make this change before they implemented it. So they didn't get any feedback from the training department before they went ahead and do that. And I was just a little bit upset about that. But anyways, it was not a big deal. It was no big change. And now it's part of everyone's day to day. So that's what the new procedures at American Airlines is causing. And But regardless of the changes, it should not have affected the operation itself. This particular flight should should not have been affected just because there was changes to procedures. There's multiple uh, um, articles out there in the media that state that pretty much is throwing the first officer under the bus and saying that because she was so busy with new procedures and she had to do runway performance ch- uh, changes and make an announcement and do all this and that, that this is what led to that incident. But I don't think that is a reason. It's not a good reason to say, oh, it was because of new procedures that it caused this incident. Nope, that has nothing to do with it. I don't think it should have been. You can blame the company and the new procedures, but I think there should have been something else that needed to be done that I don't think it was properly done or not thoroughly briefed that caused this incident. So now let's talk about another reason. Uh, And I think there was a definite break of CRM or crew resource management in this flight deck. So in this particular flight, uh, American 106, there were three pilots on board. The captain, the first officer, and an additional crew member in this particular flight, I believe it was going overseas. It was um, an augmented flight crew, which means that this additional crew member was there for uh, just a... um, uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm having a brain fart here. Basically, as a relief pilot, there you go. So this pilot was sitting in the back. And in this, in my opinion, the, the jump seater or the additional crew member has the best vantage point of all the crew members in this flight deck because they're not tasked with any duties. All they have to do is listen to the radio and look outside. That's all they are tasked with. And for whatever reason... Both all three pilots missed the instruction or missed the instruction and missed the taxiway. So they were not this additional crew member was not paying attention. So and I want to tell you just something of how if you pilots out there, if you are if you're cast verified and you're and you jump seat on a day to day basis, I'm sorry, or jump jump seat regularly, this is for you. Personally, when I take the jump seat, I make sure I have my headset. I plug in so I can listen to the radio communications, and I am there looking out. When they look left, I look left. When they look right, I look right. I'm making sure I'm part of that flight crew because, believe it or not, if something happens to that flight, I am just as responsible for whatever happened as the other two members of that actual flight crew. So it doesn't matter what airline you're in. So you could be a United pilot, and you can be jump-seating on American or SkyWest, or Envoy Republic, whatever, you are part of that flight crew. You have to be paying attention. It's happened, and I've made some observations before, when we've had pilots jump seat in our planes, and as soon as they get in the flight deck and we buckle up and we push back, they don't have their headsets on. And on top of that, they bust out their iPads and then start watching Netflix. That is wrong. That is a wrong answer right there. I think that usually... Captains don't do this usually. They don't brief it this way. But I've I've had captains brief me and say, hey, if you see something, say something. If there's something unsafe or something doesn't look right, let us know. 
and some pilots have even joked to say, you know, if something goes wrong here, it's your fault. You know, so, but anyways, I'm very aware of, of, the, of my responsibility as an additional crew member. And on top of that, I provide um, valuable feedback to the pilots to make sure they do a proper briefing. I'll give you an example. I commute a lot between Denver and Las Vegas. So Las Vegas is kind of like my backyard. I did all my flight training out of, out of Las Vegas. So I know Las Vegas airspace like the back of my hand. Um, one day I was flying uh, from Denver to Las Vegas and the crew, I asked them, I said, are you guys Denver based? And they said, no, we're from Houston. And I said, okay, cool. So I kind of started building a picture of what this crew is uh, up against really. So as we're flying towards Vegas, they're deciding which runway to brief for. So they had uh, the ATIS information. They were saying they were using runways 26 left and 19 or left for arrivals. And they briefed just the the ATIS. They said there were RNAV visuals in the ILS for 26 left and RNAV visual for the 19 or left. And just based on my pr uh, prior flights the month before, they were giving... Um, Flights coming into Vegas, they aren't a visual to one and or left. So they briefed for the two six left, and I I kind of chirped in and said, hey, you might want to brief for the Arnia visual one and or left because you guys might possibly get that one, and I'm pretty sure you guys are going to get that one instead. And guess what ended up happening? We got the Arnia visual for one and or left. So they were thankful that I gave them that information because I'm more familiar with the with the airspace than they are, not being from Denver or the LA area. They don't often make that flight into Las Vegas. So I was able to provide some valuable feedback to them so that they could uh, brief for that approach instead of having to brief it closer to Las Vegas. So they had plenty of time to do that. So that's me being an active uh, additional crew member. And I encourage all of you, whenever you take that jump seat, make sure you have your headset. Make sure you plug in and you actually become part of that crew, not just sitting around and just taking pictures or you know, or just watching a, something on your iPad. I follow along with the briefings as well. I take up my company iPad and pull out the charts for the airport and I follow along to make sure they're briefing, uh, briefing the pertinent information. Now, um, they have different single engine procedures because it's a different airplane, but regardless, you know, pay attention. So that's my thing. So how can this have been, so these two, in, these two, so we have expectation bias and also we have breakdown in CRM. So how could have this been prevented? Now, it, this incident could have happened to anybody. It could have happened to me and it happened, unfortunately it happened to this flight crew, but how do, how do airlines train pilots to prevent this from happening? And that is briefings. So like I said earlier, we, as pilots, we do a briefing before we depart the gate. So we talk about the taxi instructions. We talk about the icing. We talk about uh, potential hazards, hotspots along the way, uh, potential threats, and how to mitigate those threats. So that way, if we do come across a threat, we already have a plan of action to, um, to prevent that or prevent an incident from happening. So I don't know how thorough their brief was if, or if they brief that the new procedures they have in place could potentially become a threat if the first officer becomes saturated with work. So we brief all of this. Um, we brief performance numbers. We brief, um, like I said, single engine procedures, uh, rejected takeoff briefings, um, any threat that we can encounter. For example, terrain or weather. We brief that and every time we have a threat, we have a mitigation strategy. So a lot of our briefings when we when I'm when I'm briefing the taxi diagram and we're taxiing to the runway, I say, hey, we're, I expect to taxi via um, 
Bravo Sierra to this spot. Then we're going to go to ground frequency. Then after that, we're going to taxi this this uh, this taxiway to the runway, and we get, give our brief. Um, usually, I say threats. Hey, uh, let's say that I'm going Denver. I'm pretty familiar. However, let's say that I go to Houston. Uh, Houston, uh, the uh, George Bush Intercontinental. That's a pretty busy airport. Um, I've had as many as six frequency changes just to get us from the gate to the uh, to the runway. So I brief that as a threat. In that way, I typically say I'm going to copy all my instructions down. And I'm going to verify them with you to make sure that we're uh, following the right instructions. Additionally, I usually tell the captains to say, hey, uh, I'm going to be um, heads up with you. And I'm going to just kind of call out the taxiways as, as we pass them. And I'm going to verify with you we're making the right turn, especially if it's at night, especially if it's foggy, especially if we're unfamiliar with the airport of there's taxiway closures or their complicated taxi instructions. Um, we can potentially also get progressive taxi instructions, which is basically air traffic control just holding our hand and just taking us all the way there. That may or may not be a possibility based on the how saturated the, the controller is. And based on the instructions here that we had or the controller here at JFK, he was pretty busy. So I don't know if progressive instructions were viable, but I think that could have been prevented or this incident could have been prevented if, we, if they had briefed. Now, I'm not going to say that they didn't. But if more close attention was, pay, was paid to the instructions. Another thing I do is if I hear something that I wasn't too sure about or the captain took the radio call, I confirm that information with them to make sure that I'm, I'm following the right direction. So it's high, high vigilance when we're taxiing, especially at complicated airports such as JFK, Houston, O'Hare, um, even San Francisco. Any big airport is going to have complicated taxi instructions. And, and if you're not familiar with it, it raises the threat level higher up. We consider at our company taxiing as a high area of vulnerability. So we have to be very vigilant about that. So if there's any changes uh, that we get along the way as we're taxiing, we have to be very vigilant. Um, if I'm comfortable enough, I'll tell the captain, hey, I'm going to be heads down, you know, changing performance numbers or getting new weather while you look up. If the captain is comfortable as well, he'll say, he or she will say, yeah, that's great. Okay, I'll continue taxiing on the straightaway. Typically, if we're going to be making a turn, also that's, uh, the you know, I say, hey, I'm going to be down in the box and the captain will say, hey, would you mind waiting until we make this turn? And then after I'm on the straightaway, you can go down in the box. You can go um, eyes down and we can continue uh, taxiing. So that's another mitigation strategy that we use. But it, at our company, it is mandatory for us to have our taxi diagrams on our iPads or electronic flight bags up when we are taxiing till we can follow along. So I like to highlight that on my taxi diagram on my JEP charts and I'm kind of walking along with the captain as they're taxiing so that way we make sure that we don't uh, skip any any taxiways and that we're making the right the right turns or or the right uh, we're taking the right runway. So I'd go, hey, here comes uh, taxiway Bravo, here comes Charlie, we're gonna make a left on Delta, okay, cool. We're following along, it's so important to do this. So. I think what happened with this crew is that they didn't do that. I think that they took the instructions down. The first officer copied the instructions or repeated back the instructions. And she was so busy with what was going on with her additional tasks now that American Airlines um, gave her pretty much that all the, all the crew members missed their turn. And this is what ended up happening. Now, I'm not going to excuse her for that. Because of these new procedures, there should be no excuse for what happened based on the new procedures. If 
this was an issue, if the if the crew understood that these new procedures were going to be an issue, they should have raised it in the pre-takeoff brief. So that way they could have said, hey, we have new procedures. Uh, we're going to take it nice and slow. If you come sa- become saturated, just let me know. And we will stop where we're at, make those changes, or you you know run through your flows, do your messages, run the new numbers, and then we'll continue on taxing. But this was not communicated. My assumption is that it was not communicated or not made clear. It was not mitigated. Um, anytime there's any changes like this, we stop. Um, I've had I've gone at airports where I've told captains, I say, hey, let's just, you know what? This is a substantial change. Now we're changing in a completely different runway. Um, I don't have those numbers. Let's just stop really quick. Let me run those numbers really quick. And once I'm, I at least have the numbers from ACARS, then I start inputting them once we're in a straightaway. We can do that. That's a mitigation strategy there. But something happened here where it wasn't. Um, I don't care what procedures or new procedures you have. You need, that is not an excuse. You need to alert the flight crew or the captain in this case, hey, uh, I'm a little bit busy. Let's stop what we're doing so we can make sure that we are uh, taxing safely. Um, so that is not an excuse. I don't think there should have been an excuse for that. It should have been briefed and mitigated that way. All right. So another thing that kind of I want to bring up is task saturation. So in my company, we have what's uh, in the green, in the yellow, or in the red. So whenever a pilot feels like they're getting a little bit behind or they feel a little bit uh, overwhelmed with the workload, we have to verbalize, hey, I'm in the yellow or hey, I'm in the red. So the difference between yellow and red is yellow is you're become you're you're starting to fall behind on the aircraft. You're starting falling behind on the tempo that it, the captain is or whoever pilot is. You're falling a little bit behind. You may start losing your situational awareness of what's happening, and you you alert the other pilot that hey, I'm in the yellow. Let's just address this threat and bring me back into the green. And that could be as easy as just stopping where you're at, setting the parking brake, and then talking and having a discussion to have a shared mental model of what's going on so that way we don't get out of param- or out of that yellow zone into the red. When you become, when you say, hey, I'm in the red, that's because you legit, like, I cannot go, <laughs> I cannot go on, I need to stop right now and we need, I need to decompress. Um, but that's easier said than done because a lot of our times our egos get in the way and sometimes it's so insidious because we don't even know about it. So we could be falling behind a little bit, but we don't recognize it until it's too late, until we're almost in the red. So that's so important that you self-recognize that that you're getting into that yellow zone and then you you speak up. You need to speak up and say, hey, I am falling behind. I don't know what we're doing. And you need to speak up. Uh, I'll give you an example of what happened a recent trip that I had that I felt I was getting into the yellow, but I felt like I could handle it. And I ended up speaking up after we were done with our trip. I kind of gave the captain some pointers uh, just on how I interacted with him. And I think it was a pretty productive flight. So what ended up happening is I uh, it was a, a, a stand-up. So basically, it was an out and back to Durango, Colorado. So we flew from Denver to Durango and then back. And this captain, super cool captain, very high tempo. What I'm talking about tempo is he knows this plane inside and out, and he can fly this plane with his eyes closed any day of the week. And I got there. I hadn't flown for probably almost a month. So And it was a... 
uh, it was special because today we had to de-ice. So we got this plane in from maintenance and it sat out there for a few hours. It was cold enough and it had it, it had plenty of opportunity to build frost on the wings. So we had to de-ice. So as we're getting pushed back, I noticed that the captain was a very high tempo and he was beating me to pretty much finish, finishing all tasks. So I kind of, I figured to myself, okay, he's going to be a little bit quicker. Okay, so I, I'm going to have to keep up. So as we're getting pushed back, the captain called, once we had our engine started, he called and he requested for me to turn off the APU. Typically, we turn off our APU once we run the checklist. So there's a, a call out or the captain calls flap to APU off flight control check. So that is my cue to run my checks, my flow and turn off the APU. But in this case, I was out of sequence. Uh, it was not normal. And because the captain anticipated we needed to turn off the APU, he said, hey, you know what, in his mind, let's go ahead and turn it off now. So by the time we get to the, the icing pad, the APU is shut off and cooled down. So we're good to go. But because it was out of sequence and it was not following a checklist, we were going to follow the checklist eventually, but it was not uh, called by a checklist or a standard call out. It seemed like it was. It, it felt weird, so I describe it as writing with my left hand. I'm I'm a righty, so it, it felt weird to turn off that APU out of sequence, but I did it anyways. I didn't understand it at first. My brain kind of just short circuited a little bit, but I I you know I, I did what I was told, which is turn off the APU. Then after we got to the um to the, the icing pad, we started configuring the aircraft for de-icing. I started reading off the checklist as um, as we should, and it started making sense. But at that point right there, it started kind of, it did make sense and it felt awkward to do something out of sequence that wasn't necessarily. Now, the captain was not out of sequence. He did foresee that, and I missed a little blurb in one of the, or one of the notes on our checklist. And I was like, yeah, we can turn off the APU um, before we get to the icing pad. Uh, but because the checklist, the anti-ice checklist, anti-ice, de-ice checklist for engines on calls for the APU to be off. So even if we didn't turn it off when he asked me to, we would have caught that and we would have turned it off no issues there, but that was, I'm just sharing with you how it felt odd. Um, so at that point, I felt kind of a little bit in the yellow, uh, but I caught up with it and it was fine. Also, the captain was reaching up and turning off the taxi lights when, as typically the FO's job in my company, as we were taxiing along, and I was just a little bit kind of like, okay, he's he really is fast. Like he expects me to be a little bit sharper and snappier with these kinds of things. But that's something I, I took a mental note to debrief the captain once we finished our trip. Um, so that's kind of how... I could have said if and especially if you're a new pilot or a new hire at our company, I encourage the students to say, hey, speak up, you know, say something like, hey, can we stick with the checklist or can you explain it to me as to why we did that? Um, and it could potentially throw you off your game. I had another situation. We were I forgot exactly what happened, but I was trying to get a, a ramper. I was looking for one of the rampers and we were getting ready to push back from the gate. And I believe we were about to run the before start checklist. And what happened was that I finally saw someone out the right side of my eye and I opened up the window and I got the ramper's attention and they did what they needed to do. And then we completely missed the before start checklist. So we started getting pushed back, but then we caught it. It was like, hey, we didn't run the before start checklist. Oh yeah, that's right. So then we ran the before start checklist and then we ran the engine start checklist as uh before we started engines. So it's the checklists are there for a reason and they saved us. 
but it's up to us to properly brief what we need to do and is in 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 to catch any little distractions because distractions can be just as innocuous of just missing a checklist and just you know oh uh, let's go back and run it or it can be as dangerous as uh crossing an active runway in this case crossing a runway with a plane is already under takeoff rollout so that's our training that's our procedures at our company and how we address um distractions or how we address threats as far as taxing and that's what we do and i'm very proud of our training and there's always a lot of lessons learned um now uh, talked about distractions uh so needless to say the ntsb and the fa are investigating this incident at jfk and i think it's going to be is definitely going to take some recurrent training and i think the pilots are gonna, they're going to be blaming the company saying hey you gave us all these new tasks but the company is going to go about well isn't it your responsibility to you know brief about these things if there's any changes you need to slow it down and verify these changes i agree i don't think this is a reason for this to have have happened or justifying the incident but it because they could have just said hey this is new to me i'm task saturated let us just stop right on so moving on now so i think i've hammered that pretty uh hammered that out pretty well so i'm going to talk about and take you back to episode two when i talked about aggressive mediocrity something that i observed uh i went to costco recently and I was looking for a nice bottle of Merlot. I love Merlot. I love my red wine. And uh, I saw an employee that was folding boxes. And so I say, hey, excuse me, uh, do you know where the Merlots are at? And this employee immediately just said back to me, hey, I'm, I don't work in this department. I don't know. I can't help you. And she walked away. And this is the reason why our society is the way that it is. Because in my, what I, how I would have handled that, I would have said, hey, I, I'm not from this department, but let me get someone that can help you out. That could have taken her 30 seconds. She could have gotten on her little walkie-talkie and say, hey, do you, anyone in wine or liquor or something and say, can you come and help this customer is looking for a wine? And that could have been it. But this, this, this employee just decided to phone it in and say, it's not my department. It's not my problem. I'm out of here. And that's exactly what happens, not just not just in the aviation industry, but just everywhere, everywhere in society. And I said in episode two that this is causing delays because if if you have a person, if you're already tied on your schedule, and you have an employee that's just phoning it in, that could potentially lead to a delay. And this has happened personally; it has happened to me where we've had delays because of someone is not is just doesn't care to go above and beyond. And let me tell you something, give me your opinion. Do you think that's going super far above and beyond of just trying to get a customer to, uh, you know, just getting a customer to, or someone else in that department to come and help me out? It's not so much to ask. I would have done it. I used to work retail uh, when I was younger. That was one of my first jobs as a teenager. It was, I would work retail. And I, I, I don't know where I learned this, but I always remember that um, if you can't help someone, try to find someone that can. I remember also I used to work at a uh, at a liquor store, and you know when a customer came up and said, "Hey, where is this thing? They we're looking for a particular uh, item." I would say, "Hey, come with me. I'll show you where it's at." And then the, I'll take them with me, and then I point out the object or the item that we're looking for, and they were always very thankful. And it didn't take much effort of me, especially if I was busy, I was restocking or something. But it's just about that first impression of you and the company you're working for. So take pride in what you do, okay? And that's kind of a common theme 
um, that I notice here with the show, and I'm sure you have noticed it, is that I want to inspire a new generation of professional pilots. I want to make sure that the that you are inspired to do your best, to put your put your best foot forward, to leave that lasting positive legacy of yourself to others, and that's just going to follow you in your career. And being a professional is going above and beyond, uh, not just for in the flight in the flight deck, but also with the customers that we barely get to talk to as pilots. But it's something that you should strive to do is to do the best that you can. Put that professional image forward. Smile. Be helpful to other customers, and don't just pass the buck. You know, try to find a solution to a problem right then and there. They say that the the uh, a good sign of a being a professional is doing the right thing when it is the most inconvenient to you. So let's say you're in the middle of something and, a, and no lady is asking you for her gate information and you're like, oh my God, we're running a little bit late. But guess what? You try to find a solution, whether it's you helping them out right on the spot or you finding someone that can help them figure things out, you know, but not necessarily just saying, oh, you, you go figure it out, right? So that's, it's really sad every time I come across employees like that where they're just, you know, mediocre. And um, I'm really sad that society is moving that way. And I hope we can reel it back by inspiring a new generation of proud employees uh, in our society. Cool. Let me see. So then another thing I uh, wanted to bring you back to is episode three. And if you remember from episode three, and if you haven't done so, go download that episode. I talk about how or I gave my advice to regional pilots such as myself, if it is a good idea to go to an ultra low cost carrier such as Frontier or Spirit as a means to an end to go to a mainline partner such as Delta United American, if it's a good idea. Uh, a lot of pilots are leaving for the ultra low cost carriers, but then turn around and very quickly, as soon as they get job offers for mainline, they leave their ultra low cost carriers. Now, Frontier has gone, uh, and actually what they did is they uh, included a bonus. So they gave, uh, now they're up to $50,000, but it's not a bonus per se, it's a loan. So they have a string attached to it, say that if you leave within three years, you have to pay that bonus, quote unquote, back with interest. So it's like a loan, it's an interest bearing loan. And if you stay, you get to keep it. And if not, you have to pay back with interest on top of that. So the reason I bring this back up is because there have been new reports. This is just word of mouth and just what I'm seeing out in the media and in the social media as well, is that some pilots at the regional uh, airlines have claimed that mainline partners are throttling back or they're metering hiring from the regionals into the airline into the mainline partners. I don't for I don't know if that's the case. I can see the their their the, the argument they're making is that the regional uh, regional airlines are hurting for pilots, especially on the captain side. And a lot of pilots are leaving for the ultra low cost carriers. So there have been rumors of the regional partner or the regional airline CEOs speaking with mainline partner CEOs and CEOs and saying, hey, can you just kind of throttle back on the hiring a little bit so we can correct this imbalance in our staffing. And it's also to the benefit of the mainline partners because they know we can fly the routes for cheaper. So all of a sudden we can fly their routes because we don't have enough captains. Now they have to do the flying, which means they have to pay more. Uh, it's it's more expensive for them to fly the route because of you know wages. They their pilots are getting better. Uh, get them better. They get better. My brain is melting. They are they have to pay their pilots more. 
because they make more, so they have to pay more. So the route, the same route that they would that we would fly, is going to cost them more. Anyways, I think I just said I just wasted 30 seconds of your life just explaining that. But anyways, moving on. So it's to the benefit of mainline partners to slow down the hiring from the regional airlines to move on to the mainline because of that. I don't know. There's flow programs at other airlines. They have a flow, what's called a flow, which guarantees a pilot a pretty much a position on the right seat of a mainline partner, such as United Delta American. And as soon as they can, they contractually fulfill a uh, a time constraint or you know uh, a certain time frame. So some airlines will say, hey, once you're a captain at our company for two years, then you're guaranteed a position at at, uh, at our mainline partner. Or some of them will say, hey, you're guaranteed an interview. There's not a flow, but at least they guarantee you some sort of an interview with a company. So because of this, the rumors are that they are basically metering hiring to slow down the pretty much the hemorrhage of captains and so it's kind of a little sore topic i don't know for for a fact if this is happening but i know a lot of uh our pilots are getting hired at southwest JetBlue, um in the ultra low cost carriers such as spirit and frontier now we can't really stop we can't negotiate anything with the ultra low cost carriers because we have no financial agreement with them but the mainline partners do so they do have an agreement with us so I foresee that happening. I think it's unfortunate, but it's a business decision that both of them are making. What you know, uh, both the regional and the mainline partners are making to balance the staffing issue, so they can continue utilizing the regional model to fly the same route or fly their routes for cheaper. So I can see that as a plausible um, rumor that it's happening. No one's confirmed it. Obviously, the mainline partners and the regional partner, the regional airlines are not going to admit to it. Because it is a little bit kind of, you know, it's kind of a little messed up to do that to someone's career. But it's kind of um, based on these rumors. I don't know if uh, if it's still worth it to go into the ultra low cost carriers. I don't know. Um, it, it's all in a case by case basis. If you have been at the regional partner for, let's say, your goal was to leave within five years and now you're at year six and you're not able to get hired at your dream airline, then perhaps going to the ultra low cost carrier as a means to an end to get somewhere else, perhaps that may be a reason to do so. But again, you're dropping all that seniority, the stress of going through another training, uh, getting another, possibly getting another type rating, that could be, eh, you know, I don't know, you have to weigh your options. Um, there's also been some reports of uh, pilots leaving the regional airline and as soon as they get a, uh, they finish training at, the, at an ultra low cost carrier, they get a CJO or a conditional job offer from a mainline partner. And so now they move. So now they're, uh, you know, the company like Frontier, let's say they they get one pilot and they lose them immediately because they went to a mainline partner, which is or United Delta American, where most pilots want to end up at. The My advice still stands from last episode is that if you're planning on going to Frontier or Allegiant or Spirit, fine, that's your that's your deal cool but if you're going to use them as a means to an end it's going to be in a case-by-case basis if you feel targeted by these uh rumorous um um procedures or i guess you call them or 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 tactics that the airlines are using to uh, uh balance uh uh to balance staffing then I don't know. It's really your call. Um, I, I'll let you know here in a couple of years. Maybe we'll see what happens. But uh, you could apply outside of a of, of a of a program or of a flow program. You can do that. 
but I've heard, you know, just rumors about that happening, but I'm not exactly sure. I think um, it, it's on a case by case basis. If you just started at a regional, I think you should stay at a regional. I mean, well, it's just my opinion. You should stay there for a bit, about a year or two, especially if you've never been into a, a 121 operation. It will give you that real life experience to get into that. And then it, you'll become a more valuable part of uh, your next airline. But again, it all depends. I mean, I've seen pilots make it to the regional. They stick around for about no more than a year. And they're already flying at United. I've had uh, students that uh, literally were at my company for less than a year. And now they're flying to 777. So you never know. I've had also had students that have made it from uh, multiple regionals into a low, ultra low cost carrier, into a major airline, into a, into a mainline partner in less than a year. They had the hours definitely so to be competitive and they were able to get hired, but it's just going to be on a case-by-case basis. And if you have questions regarding your situation, hey, you can send me a message. Um, we can have a discussion about this and I can give you some pointers. I can give you some advice or my opinion as far, what, as, far as what you should do. Uh, but it, bottom line is you need to be happy and you need to make that decision based on if it's going to make you happy and if that's going to be uh, where you what your goal is, is to be. Cool. So that's pretty much it as far as episode three that I wanted to talk about. Um, now, the last one I want to talk about, I've been asked this a lot, is how do you get a uh, tour of the flight deck? So that one is kind of, it's super easy as just asking the lead flight attendant to let you speak to the crew. Um, and just asking, simple, that's it. Hey, can I get a tour of the flight deck? Can I go see in there? Just ask the lead flight attendant. Do not bypass the lead flight attendant. Always kind of go that chain of command, right? So you have the flight attendant is in charge of the cabin. Just ask them, hey, is it okay if I uh, talk to the crew? I want to see the flight deck and they'll ask you. But my pointers or my pro tip for you is, Ask the lead flight attendant if you can get a tour of the flight deck at the end of your flight. The reason why we want to do this is because when the flight attendants are boarding the aircraft, you're kind of going to get in their way. You're going to get in their way because if you have your rollerboard with you, you have your personal item in your backpack, you have all this luggage with you, and you're going to be blocking the way for other passengers getting into the plane, especially on a narrow body aircraft such as the 737 Airbus, etc. Most of the planes you're going to fly, if you fly here in the United States, are going to be narrow body. Every once in a while, you get a wide body. But even then, uh, you are getting in the way of their duties. And, you know, sometimes they're, you know, they just want to be efficient. They want to get everyone on board seated. So if there's any potential delays, they can handle them accordingly. So my first advice is ask the lead flight attendant, is it okay if I get a tour of the flight deck after the flight? So that way the flight crew doesn't leave immediately after the flight. Especially if it's their last flight of the day, um, they might just rush out and go and leave. So just make sure you tell them. So just ask um, if they have the time. They will. We are more than happy to give you a tour of the flight deck and have you aboard. I have no issues. Uh, the 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 flight crew never. I've never encountered a flight crew that said, "Hey, no, we don't want anyone up here before we do that." Um, maybe if it's a little bit of time crunch, maybe, but it's more about the flight attendants and getting in their way because we do have a very, they have very limited workspace up there. So make sure you are asking them nicely, um, bring treats, bring them treats, bring them like little bars of pre wrapped candy. Don't make them bake goods and hand them to them because I'm not going to eat that, um, uh, make sure they're, you know, candy that's wrapped up, you know, the uh, Snickers or Kit Kats or whatever, just something kind of like a little nice treat bag. Say, hey, here you go. 
Uh, just kind of be nice and kind to them, and they'll be willing to oblige. So that's it for this episode. I've been yapping here this uh, for quite a while here. We're now almost 55 minutes of time. Once again, I want to thank you so much for your support and for listening. Uh, for your ideas I've gotten, uh, the feedback I've gotten, thank you so much. If you have a, if you leave feedback, make sure you leave your name, make sure you leave or, or your uh, Instagram handle so that way I can give you a shout out on the show. And once again, really, really thankful. I'm really excited to put this episode out and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So once again, thank you so much from Las Vegas. I'm wishing you tailwinds and sunshine. Have a good one.